quickly summarize a quick recap of the last couple of um, classes we covered so far. Some, uh, I think we only did two questions out of the four, which I meant to do all four in one class. That was the original intent. But our discussions just get away with us, so it's okay. And I tend to babble, so I guess that's why you hired me. <laughs> um, first question was, what is the church? We defined it as a gathering of called out ones. Those are called out of the world and we assemble, right? Those are, the, those are the key, that's the key, what am I trying to say? The key image of the church, right? We're called to gather together and assemble to worship the living God. Um, and we also call to encourage each other as the day draws nearer. You know, we, we're here to encourage one another. We're not, you know, uh, membership. I, I did emphasize church discipline and how you will be held accountable, but also there's the other end of that. We're also to encourage one another. Uh, we're also to be there for one another, have a, a, a similar life together. Uh, that is what it means to be in, the, in this fellowship in the church. Um, uh, uh, lately, there has been an increase in, you know, uh, people who have depression and suicide. And I want to reiterate that, you know, we're not just here to, you know, discipline is not only punitive, it's not only um, this looking down at you, like kind of wagging our fingers at you. The church is also here to help, right? That's the basic act of love. And if anybody, any one of you, struggles with whatever it is, come to the church, come to the session, call somebody, and we have a directory coming up soon, hopefully, that will be printed, and you have people you can reach out to. Now, that's what we're here for. That's what the church is called to do. So if anyone's struggling with thoughts of suicide, for instance, and if, if you struggle with depression, we're not here to shame anybody, right? That, that is not what we're here for. Um, I believe there's clinical uh, levels of depression that people struggle with, and oftentimes they're afraid to come out because they think, oh, there's something wrong with my faith. Well, I've seen it time and again that it's not. So um, please uh, don't be afraid. Um, also, we established, too, uh, that the church is an institution. It is an organized religion in the visible form. This is the way Christ instituted it. This is the way Christ laid the foundation for it, right? He set up officers and he set up order. Uh, there isn't a disorderly worship in the scriptures. There was orderly worship in the Old Covenant. And there's orderly worship in the New. There's acceptable and unacceptable worship, um, which we know, as I've said, by the light of nature. We know when we walk into a, a, a church and it's like, whoa, what's going on? You know, there's all sorts of things, lights flashing, and you're like, okay, is this acceptable? Uh, is this an acceptable form of worship? Um, and so, you know, I, I went on to teach about, you know, Book of Church Order and how it's important for every uh, member of the OPC or of an OPC church to have a Book of Church Order and to know it, to know uh, what your rights are as lay people and to know where, you know, we've crossed the line, you know, you know all of that, how, how it's handled and how there's no reason to leave a church unless it's absolutely necessary. We're talking heresy across the board, you know, across the OPC. But um, in the little things, we should think twice before just getting up and packing and leaving. 
right? Uh, even in the transferring of leadership, uh, when you made the vows, you didn't make vows to just the pastor. You made vows to the congregation and to the church here, not just to the leadership, right? Um, you and the elders, you made it to the church. So when there's a transferring of leadership, it apply your vows apply even then. It doesn't just disappear. So, um, um, and I, I've also uh, tried to, it, it is voluntary. Membership is voluntary. I'm not here to, this isn't a pressure campaign for you to become members. Uh, it takes time to think it through. It's good to think it through because it's, it's one of the most important decisions you'll make. Right? That's countercultural. Uh, today, that joining a church is not that important at all. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll be a member, whatever. Whatever that means, uh, I'll do whatever you want me to do, activities. You know, usually people think, you know, becoming a member, well, I'm going to be really active in these activities, and it, it will help me out, you know, psychologically and all this other stuff. Um, but no, this is, this is a bond. It's a union. Uh, not only are you united to Christ, you're united to one another. Uh, and it is a very important uh, uh, decision to make. And I've discussed also that the church, uh, the problem with those who join the church, uh, they, their problem with joining a church is that it's organized. It's an organized religion. Um, and, you know, it wasn't meant to be. But as we look through scripture, actually, it was meant to be. It's very, you know, just go through 1 Corinthians, you go through uh, the foundation and Acts, and it was meant to be organized. It was meant to be an organized religion or an institution. Uh, if you know, the, if you've ever watched, I'm not promoting any, I'm not telling you to watch them, but movies about Jesus, right? Most of the movies about Jesus that you watch, he is portrayed as someone who has come to liberate us from organized religion, right? Because to them, the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes wasn't sin to them, it was organized religion. That was... That's the boogeyman for, for us, is that they were so organized, they were heartless. No, it's the other way around, right? They were heartless, and that heartlessness led to what they did in their organized religion. They became, they were hypocrites, right? It was, it was their heart that was the problem, not the organization, not the, not the system. Actually, the system was the old covenant system, which the Jews were still held to, when Jesus Christ came, that system was done away with and the new order came. But organization didn't, didn't disappear. We still have an organized body, an organized religion. Um, that's why we still appoint elders. Elders is an old covenant office, not a new covenant creation. Right? Elders were in the Old Testament as well as the new. Right? The sacrifice of worship still applies today. Um, it, even though they're not, we're not slaughtering animals, right? There's the one sacrifice of Christ, yet we still have worship, an order of worship, and we still gather for worship as the body of Christ. So, um, you know, so Jesus wasn't here to get rid of the establishment. He wasn't here to get rid of uh, the organized religion or institutions that we have. He didn't come here to save us from organization. He came to save us from our sin. All right, let's make that clear. He came to save us from our sin. And the reason why we still have organization, we still have order, because God is a God of order, and um, uh, we still have sin, right? We still have sin in our flesh, 
and he has established an order so that that can be tapered down a little bit, right? Not fully, right? We're still corrupt in every form, in every part of us, but it, it, it's tapered down through that, through that system, through that order that has been put in place. Um, oh, I forgot to uh, put this out. Anybody need a handout? Uh, the, the handout from a couple of weeks ago, sorry. So you can follow along with the questions. and um, It's the same one I gave out the first day. So if you have the one from the first day, you don't need this one. In case I don't mention a Bible verse or whatever, they're listed there that you can refer to later. Because um, I'm not just getting this from thin air. I'm, I think I read the Bible maybe once a week when I preach it, preaching. So, um, so what do we do in church? That's today's question. The third question: Are we religious? Do we practice religion? Or is Christianity a lifestyle? Or is it both? Or is it both? How many of you have heard the phrase, religion doesn't save you? Right? We've heard this, we hear this in revivalist preaching often. This phrase later developed into another popular phrase. So it started with, yeah, religion doesn't save you. We know that. We know religion doesn't save anybody. Right? But it developed into another popular phrase. How many have heard the phrase that says Christianity isn't a religion, it is a lifestyle? Yeah, it's a relationship, right? Um, well, that came, it was rooted in, again, this anti-organized religion movement. Um, and it is often taken to mean when you believe in Jesus, you have been freed from the perils of practicing religion and you have been saved from being around other people and we are free to live as Christians without going to church without any accountability it's just me the Holy Spirit and my Bible that's all I need that's, that's what that phrase is trying to communicate was this the Jesus movement the that was part of it Jesus movement was part of it I mean it's oh yeah yep that's all there it, it can go back to romanticism, actually. I there mean, you go. There you go. Philo- philosophy, if you, if you know anything. I don't know much about philosophy. I'm not, so don't ask too many questions about it. But romanticism <laughs> yeah. focused, the philosophy of romanticism focused on personal experience, personal feelings. Emotions. Feelings yep. and nature. Yep, that's right. Romantic music is all about feelings and nature. Feelings and, and nature. And yep. Impressionism, Monet, Renoir, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And that came out of that same Van Gogh, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, feeling that um, we can't be dry and stayed. It, it's a, a typical human pendulum swing that the church goes through as society goes yep. through. You know, rules to feeling. Yep, rules. To rules to, yep. to feeling. So you can imagine where we are on the pendulum right now. You know, <laughs> We've been on it for a while, I think. Yeah. yeah. So much so that even we teachers at school are saying the kids don't think, they just feel. Yeah. And it's, that's why we're bringing back critical thinking and trying to yeah. bring back logic and reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, I, I get caught up in it too because I'm a child of the 80s and, exactly. you know, it was all there. I mean, yeah. and now we're seeing, we're seeing the collapse of our society because of it. 
I mean, society outside of the church. And we often think, well, we're the church. It's not going to affect us, but it's, it comes in. No, and it's been coming in since the since 1700s, well, 1800s. And it's just... Yeah, the Southern Baptist, what was his name? Uh, Clyde something. Hmm. But he brought in um, the whole God can't unless you. Yeah. You know, thing. And then the other thing, yeah. uh, follow your heart. Yeah. Started coming into the church, follow your heart, which is charismatic, you know. And I kept saying, well... Or follow your own, follow the spirit. Well, is it your spirit or is it the spirit of God? Yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, how do you follow well, the spirit? Is there right? a difference they would say to me? No, big difference. Yeah. yeah, but they had a hard time. They had a hard time because they had been taught that if you are experiencing great feeling, then that must be the spirit of God. When I yeah. get a buzz, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What if you never get a great feeling? Well, then what if you're boring? <laughs> then, then you have to question your salvation. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the problem. That's yeah. a, that's a big problem. Anyway. So you don't have all these feelings, then something wrong. Oh, and Schleiermacher was the he was the modern father of the modern liberal movement, right? Oh yes, yes. And he was romantic. That yeah. Everything was based on the feelings. Yeah. And he was influenced by Jonathan Edwards. Really? So he was the... Yeah, Jonathan Edwards never took it that far. No. He was still, I would say, orthodox in his uh, doctrine. Yeah. But in practice... Really? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jesse. So, uh, there's a lot of negative, negative talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So can I pose the question, is it ever a good thing to talk about a personal relationship? As far as like knowing your Bible, if you're oh yeah, from like an anti-humanism yeah. background, yeah. And asceticism background, and then if, is it good to stress personal relationship? Can oh no, no, I'm, I'm not speaking against, yeah. I'm not speaking against yes. individual personal relationship, yeah. um, individual salvation, that's important, but it's it's uh, putting the individual relationship up against the church, right? That's where the problem lies. It's not. It's not. Everybody needs to be. Everybody needs to be saved individually, on their own time. Right? They all have a time to be saved. We don't all get saved at once. And we all, you know, come before the Lord in repentance and faith. That's how we're called. But we're called to join the church. We're called to, to a bigger body. So it's putting putting the, the the personal experience over against the church. That's where the problem is. Yes. And you know. right. Oh, oh, answered. Okay, okay, answered. Um, so you know we have this anti-religion talk that's even amongst evangelicals, right? Uh, conservative evangelicals, anti-practicing religion, um, and really it's 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 been a license to kind of forget the church, forget about the ordinances, forget the preaching. I can just live my life as a Christian. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. All I need to know is Jesus. Um, and this phrase has, was developed as a marketing strategy in order to make Christianity or the church more appealing, more relevant, more revolutionary, more rebellious, and more acceptable among young believers. That's what it was really aimed at. Uh, this um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a lifestyle quote, was appealing to younger people. Uh, because maybe they've experienced hypocrisy in a church, or maybe they've gone through 
bad experience in the church. So they leave the church altogether and say, I'm not going to another church ever again, as if all churches are equally sinful. Um, we're all sinful, but we're not all equally sinful. Um, uh, but again, that is not bi- biblical. In fact, that phrase, I think, has contributed to helping to empty churches. Right? How many sound biblical churches do you go to where it's like really packed and you know, people are revived by the Spirit and really... No, now there's so few that we see that are really thriving, you know, good, solid churches thriving. And it's, it's really sad. It's this, uh, again, going back to romanticism as it developed, and now it's just exploding as far as everyone is just individual, autonomous gods, right? I decide, I decide, I believe this, so it, it's true. No, that's not how it goes. God decides truth. He has given that truth to the church. You come to church, you hear the truth, hopefully. You hear the truth from the pulpit, and you're sent out as individuals, right? Um, or, or you're saved outside, right? You can be saved extraordinarily through evangelism, and you're called into the church, right? Those are the two directions you can go in, either in or out the church, right? you called in, then you go out. Called in and out, right? Um, but... Um, and this is how the writers of the New Testament thought. I mean, anytime someone left the church and didn't come back, they were considered unbelievers. Right? They weren't like many denominations where we can go down the street, I can go attend that one and go this one. And back then it was like, no, oh, you're in the church, you're in the church. And you're sa- if you're saved, you're saved. In, you're in the church. If you're not in the church, you're not, you're not saved. Um, again, it's not biblical. Where, where in the Bible can you think of that mentions Christianity as a religion? There you go. James, well, you have the cheat sheet in front of you, too, for those who didn't. But you, I know you knew that. But. Um, uh, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Talking about religion. Now, is that all there is to Christianity? No, that's not all there is. Uh, he, was, he was trying to point out obvious hypocrisies in his church. But again, who is he speaking to? He's, yeah, he's speaking to the church, right? To, to more than one person. He's speaking to the church. Uh, and what does James say about religion? Religion is faith put into practice, right? It is faith that is exercised. And the church is a place where you ought to feel free uh, to exercise that faith. In other words, religion is a lifestyle. Religion is a lifestyle. They're not against each other. Right? Uh, religion is faith put into practice. Uh, even if it's part of an institution. Even if it's part of organization. Right? Order is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Order was placed so we, there would be sanity. Right? We're not just doing whatever we want. Right? There's, there's, there's an order uh, that we submit to when we join a church. Uh, uh, the question is what kind of institution? We are an institution. What kind? A society or organization founded for a religious, educational, social, and similar, or similar purpose. That's the definition of institution. So the church is a religious institution. Again, what is a religion? Religion is defined, and this is from the dictionary, as the belief in and worship of a superhuman, 
uh, controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Isn't the Christian called to worship the one true God in Jesus Christ? And isn't our God a personal God? Then Christianity is a religion. Another definition says that religion is a particular system of faith and worship. And don't we, as Presbyterians, have a particular system of faith and worship? Yes, we do. That is the point of a membership class. Right? You're being introduced, or hopefully being introduced, to a system of faith and worship. <clears throat> In the church, we practice religion. We are not saved. Again, we are not saved by practicing religion. Just like we are not saved by our lifestyle. But we are saved to practice religion. We are saved to it, not by it. Right? Religion is faith put into practice. And the best expression of faith is found in Christians becoming members of churches and being devoted to that body. Right? We see that all throughout scripture. That's the overarching thing. Um, Paul stresses the love of the brethren right? over and over again. And the sermon today was about that, the love of each other, being, being sure that we are loving one another. Uh, to say you want to be a, a member is saying that you want to sit at the Lord's table with other disciples in the local congregation, right? Um, the way you treat the body, as we see in 1 Corinthians 10 through 11, is the way you are treating Christ, and we are all members of one another. How does Paul commend the Galatians, right? He commends them on how they received him as they would receive Jesus Christ, right? And when Paul or Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus asked him on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? Wait, I wasn't persecuting you. I was persecuting the church. No. This is where the principle of being a welcoming church comes from. Right? The way you treat professing believers, members or not, walking through the doors, the way you treat Jesus Christ. That's deep. Imagine all the negative thoughts we may have had about people we are easily annoyed with in church. Like, wow. Well, was. Imagine that was Jesus Christ walking through the door. Doesn't matter how he smells, whether he's obnoxious, loud. Um, yeah, that's, that's a member of Christ's body. And the way we treat the body, the way we treat Christ, is the way we, tr we are treating Christ. Uh, the way we treat the body is the way we treat Christ. And being a welcoming church is not about, we're not being welcoming in order that we may grow. Right, that's the church growth movement. <clears throat> we, we, we're welcoming so we can grow the body. It's like a type of evangelism. No, we, we're welcoming because we're considering our brothers and sisters as we would consider Christ. Would we welcome Christ if he stepped in through those doors? Right? Uh, that's, that's where it comes from. It's about treating the members of the church or not as we would treat Jesus if he walked through those doors. Uh, to, so to say that you don't want to be a member... Even if you come every Sunday. is another way of saying. I want to be included. But not fully. Right. But not fully. Not wanting to be a member of the body. Is not wanting to be a member of Christ. That's controversial. Because you know. We've placed such emphasis. On individual salvation. That we say okay. I'm united to Christ, and that's it. 
that we're not considering if we don't want to now want to be a member of the body, we don't, want, we don't really want to be a member of Christ. We, we often separate the two. There's Jesus and then there's the church. But Jesus doesn't think that way. Right? That's his bride. That's his bride. It's important. It's the most important thing. Because what he did in redeeming his bride was for the glory of his father, which was the most important thing for him. <clears throat> and his father is the one who, who sent him. And it was preordained that he would save his body. That he would save a remnant for himself who would worship him. It's another way of saying, if you want to, uh, become a Christian, but you don't want to be a member is another way of saying, I want to be a member, but from a distance. I don't want to be held accountable. Uh, and that is just foreign to, uh, to, to, to the scriptures, is foreign to Christianity. So to say membership doesn't matter is foreign to scripture. Paul has a list of names, right, that he mentions. Uh, we think of Romans 16. Uh, which is the evidence that he kept track. He kept track of his people. He kept track of the churches. Uh, it's similar to how we keep track today in roles. And in Acts, it is repeated that as many believed, they were added to the number. What number? They knew the exact number. Because they kept numbers. They kept exactly who were members and who were not. Right? That would exclude all those who were, who were not numbered. They were numbered... Which means they kept track. Right? It wasn't, you know, come and go as you please type of, you know, uh, evangelicalism that we have today. So what can, can we learn from this so far that we have learned? Is that to never to let anyone say that church is not meant to be an institution. Right? Or it's not meant to be an organized religion. Because it is. And to not let anyone say that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a lifestyle. Because in fact, it is all of the above. It is both. A church is where we live out our religion, where we live out our lifestyle that has been instituted by Christ with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's where the importance is, that, that it is blessed by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us together. And His blessing is upon us through word and sacrament. As we receive each Lord's Day, we are, uh, as uh, Michael Horton says, we're renewing the covenant each week between us and the Lord. And it's an amazing thing to be a part of the church. And it is important. This is, um, uh, we, we need to step up our ecclesiology, our, our study of the church. Um, because it was important to Paul, it's important to Jesus. And it was important to all the reformers, you know. Reformers weren't, weren't like, yeah, yeah, uh, become a Christian, now you're free to go. They kept track, they cared for the church. So um, I got through the third question. Any, any time for discussion questions? Any, anything you'd like to add? Yes, Linda. Um, when, when you're a Christian, when you're a true believer, you are part of the universal church, yeah. the Holy Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. What when you join to a congregation, what does that how does that relate or what statement does that make uh, in relation to being part of the Holy Catholic Church or does it? 
you mentioned, you know, when you join, that you're joining to the body and you're joining mm -hmm. to Christ. What does that, how does that relate to being part of the Holy Catholic Church? So when you, when you uh, place your faith in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. in a spiritual sense, you're united to Christ and you are united to the universal church, right? That's to join, to become a member, you're making that invisible reality it's visible. visible. Yeah. So you're joining the visible church. Okay. Right? So you're um, saying to the world, yeah. kind of, and your fellow Christians, that you're now part of the visible, the visible true church, Holy yeah. Catholic Church. Yeah, you're, you're part of the visible church. Now it's, the true church lies in the invisible because we have those who are part of the visible church who are not yet believing. Uh, we think of the children. And the right? ones who passed before us, right? Maybe. Are uh, they part of the true church? Those who have yeah, they, they, died and yep, gone yep, on. Yep, they, not everyone's here, right? right. They're yeah. those who have passed. Uh -huh. uh, we have the, uh, the saints of old, uh -huh. um, which is important. We don't ignore even their writings. Um, and, and we have, in the visible church, not everyone is believing, right? Not everyone True. has faith. When we, when, we, mm -hmm. uh, when we baptize a child at that moment, they're not believing yet. Um, but we are uh, leading them to that and uh, encouraging them to believe each week. Mm -hmm. um, and in Scripture, we see a visible expression of everything invisible, right? Uh, the Garden of Eden. A visible expression of the heavenlies. The heavenly places where God sits enthroned. We have the temple. Also, same thing. Visible expression of the invisible reality of, of heaven and his throne. Right? Uh, we have the, the, the sacrifices and the, that system. And um, Jesus, uh, the sacrifice of worship, which is invisible. We have the sacrificial system. We have uh, Jesus Christ, who is the, the sacrifice as well. And what happens there, there's something invisible happening there too. Right? In, the, in, the, in the spiritual realm, we are freed from, from the beginning. Right? Um, and so wherever there's an invisible reality, there's a visible expression. Think of the sacraments as well. There's an invisible reality going on, though, the, and there's a visible expression of that reality. Same with, the, same, same with the church, right? Becoming a member, confessing Jesus Christ before a body. And, um, yeah, it's, it's real. you know, it gets deep. Yeah, Jesse? Uh, this, is, um, <clears throat> this is controversial, maybe, but does the OPC have any, like, checks and balances with this, as in, like, the state church, like, Nazis, World War II, they took over the state church, and it was terrible, of course, right? A lot of studies on that. Does the OPC have anything, like, as far as checks and balances, where, um, <clears throat> the government interferes with the life of the church? Um, I don't know, I think that's, I don't know, it's kind of a broad question, oh, yeah. right? But yep. is there anything with that as far as what's going on in the U.S. and what could go on, studying history as intelligent people? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, does the OPC have anything with that? Any committee, I don't even know what I'm saying, but... Yeah, we, we, I mean, according to our confession and according to our Book of Church order, yeah. according to scriptures, uh, when it comes to the worship of God and what God has commanded us to do and not do, they have no say. Really. I mean, 
Um, now, whether or not the state is controlling the church now, I disagree. I don't think they are. Uh, I think there are those um, who have gone a little crazy lately, thinking that we're under government control or something. I'm like, uh, no, I come, I'm coming freely to worship every week. We're not under government control right now. Uh, it hasn't gotten to that point. I mean, the Nazis? No, we're not even close. Um, so, you know, yeah, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, when it comes to worship, they cannot interfere. Um, that's, that's in our, even in our constitution. So, uh, as a nation, they cannot interfere. They can't tell us who we, who we are to worship and how we are to worship. And they can't tell us how we are to preach, right? Um, now, if we're, if we, if we are being, I got to tread this carefully because of the freedom of speech thing. But if we're if we're promoting inciting violence, that's a crime. I mean, that's you're crossing you're crossing the line into okay. Now they can they can step in, right? But what I preach, I'm not inciting violence. I'm telling you, this is what the Lord says. This is you know I'm warning you of the consequences of sin. I'm not saying, so we should go start stoning people, right? Um, that's not the message uh, that we, we hold. So, so the church can't, you know, in my view, the church can't interfere in the life of the government where they have sovereignty over. And they can't do the same here as well. They can't interfere in the spiritual matters um, as far as how we worship, when we worship, all, all of that. And... If they tell us to disobey God, we must say no. Thanks, no. yeah. yeah. There, uh, there's, always a, there's always a discussion about whether there exists a separation between church and state. And that's just what I'm, just, that's kind of where I'm attacking. Yeah. That's the perspective I'm coming out with. That, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, again, you got to read the Constitution again. That's not what it says. It doesn't say separation of church I and state. Agree. So, agree. um, <laughs> Yeah, they can't establish a state or a federal church, right? Um, where they impose that worship on everyone, right? Kind of like what Rome was doing. They can't do that. Um, but as far as yeah, but again, Christians need to be careful before we take it too far. I mean, we tend to take it too far, the other way, right? We t- we take it to like every little thing. No, we got to be rebellious and. No, as the sermon said today, like, no, they, they haven't controlled us yet, I don't, from what I've seen, so. Um, Thanks. Yep. At least here, here in the U.S. Um, so, a- any other discussion, any questions? Okay, uh, so does, does this mean that this, that our church is traditional? That's the next uh, controversial question. Uh, there are those who say that they are not traditional and they are not part of a non, they, or, or they are part of a non-traditional church. But I, as I've said before, the hypocrisy in that statement is that being non-traditional becomes a tradition. Right? You, you have a tradition of being non-traditional, uh, not a very stable tradition. Yet, nonetheless, it becomes a tradition. This is. 
the tradition of modern evangelicalism in our country. But what we find in scripture is a traditional church. Paradosis, that's the Greek word for tradition. And we find this word being used in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. And I'll read for you 13 through 15. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, the apostles preaching, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. But again, that you may obtain. We don't go to glory right away, right? There is a time that we spend after we are saved in this world. So until we get to glory, there is a calling for us here on earth. What does he tell the church to do on her way to glory? So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, the apostles. See, a tradition is defined as the transmission of customs or beliefs from one generation to another. And this is what we see in the scriptures being passed down to us today as we read even in Jude, as he calls on all Christians to fight or to defend the traditional Christian faith. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered uh, once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, and this is what you know, the Reformation sought to do. Uh, the Reformation, as I've said, is, wasn't trying to cut ourselves off from the church. We weren't, you know, Martin Luther's intent was not, and he wrote on it extensively, his intent was not to cut himself off from the Roman Catholic Church. My argument is that the Roman Catholic Church actually began during the Reformation. That's a controversial view. But that is my view. That's where it began. Uh, and because, you know, with the Council of Trent, they solidified their doctrine. That was the council where they solidified their doctrine. So the Reformation was not about cutting ourselves from the traditional Catholic Church. It was about reforming it. Evangelicals, unfortunately, have tried to cut themselves off from the traditional church that was started in the New Testament and uh, was followed by the early church fathers and into the mid medieval period. And, you know, unfortunately today, heresy has come out of that, right? Uh, there has been heretical views on the doctrine of God because people have such an animosity towards Rome, that they can't even accept the doctrine of God coming from Rome. But unfortunately, for many of us who don't know this, the doctrine of God was not changed from Rome to the Reformation. It pretty much all stayed intact, except for a few little minor differences. But the doctrine of God that Rome held to and still holds to is the same doctrine of God we have. But in modern evangelicalism that tries to cut themselves off from tradition altogether uh, has done a disservice in trying to reinvent God. 
That's really dangerous. <laughs> because if you read the confessions, if you read the, and this, again, this is controversial, you read the confessions and you put it uh, aside, say, Thomas Aquinas, uh, translation, of course, you see a lot of similarities. A whole lot more than you would think uh, between his doctrine of God and ours. The words used, right? Uh, immutability. No. Uh, these so-called phil- philosophical words that wasn't founded by Aristotle. It was founded by God. Right? God is the one who revealed it by the light of nature to Aristotle. And, you know, such and such. So, uh, don't want to go on a rabbit trail. But anyway, traditions are not the problem. Right? At the time of the Reformation, <clears throat> the tradition had been corrupted. And this led to a call for reformation. But this call for reformation was going way back. I mean, you think of John Huss. You think of Wycliffe. Uh, you know, it, went, it came before the reformation. So you had folks who noticed that the church was being corrupted in doctrine and needed, needed a change. But it wasn't, the response wasn't to cut ourselves off from tradition. It was to reform the tradition. So what are some of these uh, Traditions that we find repeated throughout the word of God that the church is to hold on to. Now, before I move further, I need to ask permission to go further because I've already met the 40-minute mark. Should we ask them how much I'll continue the tradition. Um, I'll just... Um, let me see. Um... I'll summarize quickly and then we'll get back and go into detail next week. How's that? So what are some of the traditions that we find repeated throughout the word of God that the church is to hold on to? Uh, We already covered what the church is and that we are a gathering of called out ones. This gathering is on Sundays, the Lord's Day, and it is a tradition of the church. This is something we've held on to since the New Testament, not since the early. They didn't make it up in the third century. This was something that they've practiced and passed down from the scriptures, uh, as we see in the witness of scripture. Uh, And it actually defines what the church is. But within that gathering, what are the traditions that we are to pass down to the coming generations? Well, we must consider first that we are traditionally a confessional church. We adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechisms of the OPC, Uh, confessions are, again, nothing but interpretations of what we believe the Bible teaches. And whenever there needs to be a correction, even though it's a long process, corrections are made, right, to these documents. They have been made. So um, it takes a long time, but it it does happen. And and we see uh, Paul's confession in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, I give, I give to you what is of first importance, right? And he confesses the gospel. It is uh, the body of doctrine in which we believe, and in our confession and catechism, it teaches us that there are ordinary means of grace and marks of a true church. And these means of grace and the marks have been handed down to the church by God himself in Jesus Christ. Uh, so we begin with the Great Commission, speaking to his 11 disciples, as we talked about briefly last time, uh, he wasn't speaking to the whole church. He was speaking to uh, the ordained 
those who are set apart, the 11 disciples, he gave them the great commission, and then later they passed it down to the pastors and elders of the church. Um, He says, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see two things that he commanded his disciples to do that fall under the umbrella of discipleship. How do we disciple? He is calling to disciple all nations, that is all types of people, doesn't matter you know, what your race or ethnicity or any of those things. Um, uh, I argue he's not talking about governments here. That's another debate. But uh, <clears throat> these are all types of people living in the world. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching, secondly, teaching them to observe all that, he, all that he has commanded them. So you have the sacrament of baptism and teaching. Right? That fall under the umbrella of discipleship. Oftentimes when we think of discipleship, uh, in many evangelical circles, they're only thinking of, okay, the pastor preaches, but I need to disciple people. That's the only category they have. Yes, it's a good way. We disciple our children. We, dis- we, we seek to disciple uh, new believers as individuals. You know, we'll take them out to coffee, have a conversation, such, such and such. But according uh, to this passage, discipling is coming from ordained ministers and teaching and baptizing in the church, right? In the context of the church, in the context of the gathering, right? Uh, and, we, and I mentioned it before when, when, um, when he, uh, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, what was that work? He was a pastor. What was that work? If you notice the context, it was preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. That was his work as an evangelist. So a lot of the, and people have complained about the OPC, how we you know, swallow up evangelism and discipleship until you know, pastors do everything. No, we're not saying that. But when we come down to the commission, what he commissioned, yes, that is my primary duty, right? That is my primary duty to teach, to baptize, to administer the sacraments. Um, Here you have the one sacrament of baptism. But later on, as we will see in next week, we see that the Lord's Supper is being practiced as well and also instituted by the Lord himself. Um, we see this in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen to 33. So what you have here are traditions that are passed down. These are, these are things that are passed down to the church, generation to generation. We have the marks of a church, which we won't, won't get to yet, and the ordinary means of grace. Preaching, sacrament, and another one is prayer. And the marks of a true church would be the um, preaching, sacrament, and church discipline. Uh, we're not going to get in. I have extensive notes, so we're not going to get there yet. But these are the traditions that have been passed down to the church. And we pass it down generation to generation. So this means we are traditional. right? Um, I know what people say when they say they're non-traditional. They're talking about maybe music. 
or who leads the music, or, you know, um, as I've argued before, you've got to make the distinction between elements, circumstances, right? If all we had was a band, sorry, we're going to use a band. Uh, that's circumstance, that's not an element. Elements of worship, we have the call to worship, invocation, prayer, preaching, uh, the singing of praise. Those elements don't change, the benediction. Um, but when it comes to circumstances, piano, organ, hey, whatever Vicky wants. I don't, it's not, it's not something I'm going to, you know, fl- fight. If you want. Uh, I like the ukulele. In our culture, it's big. So, Yeah, we invented it. That's right. That's right. Yep, we invented the ukulele. And we're the ones who brought it to Hawaii. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, but uh, enough of that uh, racial superiority stuff. Um, uh, yeah, any discussion, any eye-openers, maybe you never thought that way, maybe... That's not how you think of the church as being traditional. I'm sure you got. I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, I'm just not. Yeah, I, was, I guess I was. I was raised the, that, that tradition meant um, sacraments. Rome. Yeah. Rome. Yeah. yeah. So we would always say we're non-traditional <clears throat> because we didn't believe that sacraments saved us. We believed that Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's good to make a distinction um, between the means of grace and, you know, um, the foundation of our salvation. Foundation is Christ alone. That's it. There's nothing outside of that. But the means of grace is like the preaching. It's a means. It's a, it's a vehicle. No, because then you ask the question... Can infants be saved? Those who never heard the gospel, right? Never understood it. That's a controversial one. It's, it's, it, you know, that's one that's asked of me. Uh, well, it wasn't asked of me in ordination, but it was asked of someone else. And uh, yeah, well, our answer would be yes. So um, all the children of the elect will be saved. Do we know who they are? No. So. Uh, so that's, that's great. Um, uh, and, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways in the way he wants. So, yeah, there are exceptions. But, uh, then, but you know, that's making this distinction between what is the grounds of our hope, Jesus Christ alone. That's why when you talk to a grieving parent lost their child and wants to know whether or not they're in heaven, direct them to believe in Jesus Christ and his sovereignty. I don't know that. I don't know that answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not up to me, but it's up to a loving, sovereign God who's gracious. So. Are, are yeah. you using non-traditional synonymously with non-denominational, or is that, is that a stretch, or is the, those pretty similar, hmm. or how are you using that? I just, I've never heard non-denominational, non-traditional and traditional. Those Yeah. You can find um, <clears throat> non-denominational churches that hold to the traditions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, 
as far as being accountable to a bigger body, as far as being Presbyterian, we don't see the consistency between what Scripture shows us and how each church was interconnected and each church was held accountable to each other, to their leaders, how non-denominational churches are actually practicing it biblically, saying, you know, we're non-denominational and we're independent. We don't want to be associated with these guys. We don't want to be associated with these guys. We don't agree with anybody, so we're just going to do our own little thing here, and this church and us alone. That I don't understand. As I grew in my understanding of Scripture and how, you know, Galatians, to the churches of Galatia, there are more than one gathering. They're all held accountable. And elders, you know, placed there and all contacted each other, all got together. Acts 15, right? They got together, all the leaders got together to discuss matters of the church. Um, that's why we have presbytery. And, you know, um, if one is going, and that's the problem with non-denominational churches, there's nobody to check them. They can go off and teach false teaching, split the church, and all right, that's fine. You know, whoever's going to follow is going to follow. Nobody's going to come in and hold them accountable to it. And you have uh, Christians in, the, in that um, church that are like, they have no shepherd, no way to, nobody to lead them, right? Can a, can a, can a pastor from another church in our presbytery shepherd you? Yes and no, right? Yes and no. If I'm found a delinquent, they can step right in and say, okay, you know, we're going through the process and we're going to appoint somebody here for the time being or, you know, preach to you or set up, a, meet with the session and set up a, somebody, to, you know, that will feed you. You're not left alone, right? We're non-denominational churches. That happens so often. We're... They split from the traditional church going way back in the traditional practice. Now, there's arguments on what that is, whether it's the Anglican, uh, Bishopric, or the Presbyterian, you know, if you're going way back. But, but there were Presbyterians in the early, early church fathers, believe it or not, so, who believed in a Presbyterian form of government. Um, so... Yeah, that's, uh, it, I guess it comes down to the question, are they doing it uh, the right way, biblically? But, yeah, you can find traditional, but then there are very non-traditional, non-denominational. There's, there's very non-traditional de- denomination, denominations now, too. Yeah, so, and many of them have left the faith. Because of the fact they wanted to be non-traditional. So, yeah. So you have... Various mixes. Any other discussion, questions? I know there's a lot to digest, so if you, if you have questions along the way and you're not thinking of them right now because I just did a mind dump on you and just filled you up with all sorts of stuff, uh, just um, send them to me and I'll be happy to research and do my part and, um, you know, do my part and answering the questions to the best of my ability. So, uh, let us pray.